I'm Pastor Scott, lead pastor of the river. We hope that you are blessed by what you hear on, on this podcast. We hope that God's word continues to have power in your life. And we pray that uh, God makes himself known. Thanks for checking us out and uh, enjoy the service. Good morning. Uh, we are walking through a season of Advent. And in case you weren't aware, the, uh, there's another calendar besides the 12-month calendar you have on your wall. It's called the church calendar. And the church council calendar has a number of different seasons in it. And we are entering into Advent. There's other ones like Epiphany and Lent and Pentecost. And there's one even called Regular Time. But uh, we're in Advent now. And Advent in the church calendar is really considered a time of preparation. Considering how we as God's people are preparing to celebrate, preparing to consider the incarnation of Jesus Christ, God becoming flesh, God coming in the form of uh, a baby in Bethlehem so that we might uh, be saved, we might be redeemed, we might have purpose, we might have uh, truly God here on earth changing our lives and changing the world around us. And as we've talked about that, this here on uh, staff and among the worship planning, planning people, we just, we thought, okay, Beth found these, these things by the skit guys, and we're going to do some more of these over the course of the season. But one of the things that, that each of these characters will sort of highlight for us is uh, how we think about making room in this time of year for Christ. Uh, it's a busy full season. There's a lot going on in many of our lives, and because there is oftentimes by the time we get to January, if we think about where in this whole season we were able to truly stop, listen, celebrate Christ, celebrate what he has done for us, um, there's not many spots because there wasn't room for them in the middle of all the parties and the gift givings and the family times and parades and programs and all the other sorts of things. Uh, so we want to talk and think together about how we make room and make room in different ways. Make room for doubt. Uh, make room for wonder. Make room um, for God's glory. We're going to be talking about those things over the course of the season this morning. We're start, uh, starting with the innkeeper, as you've already seen. And we're going to read from the text, Luke 2, beginning at verse 1 of that chapter. It's a very familiar story. Uh, Certainly, many um, folks have memorized this over the course of their years, and many are in the midst of that right now. Um, but uh, this has something to say to us, and actually, what I'm hoping for this morning is that I blow up your view a little bit of the traditional Christmas story view that we often have. You may need to go home and change your nativity scenes a little bit after this morning, I hope. Um, maybe you might consider that. As we gather around God's word together, let's pray for his blessing and his presence on our time. Living God, uh, this story, which is so very familiar, continues to have power. It has power both in what events there were at the time, but also, Lord, how they speak into our lives, how they move us, how they transform our thinking about the world that we live in here and now. We pray, O oh God, that we might continue to learn and grow from this familiar story, that it truly might move us to make room, not just even make room, but allow you to come and through the Holy Spirit take over our lives, consume all of us, 
so that we might live for you and serve you in all that we do. Lord God, this is work that you and you alone can do. We pray that you continue that work in us today. We pray this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. From Luke chapter 2, beginning at verse 1. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken in the entire Roman world. Now, just a word about that really quickly. This is a vast area of land. We are talking uh, 3,000 plus miles east to west, between 1,500 and 2,000 miles north to south, encompassing in many ways most of the civilized world at that time. So this is a huge undertaking and would have taken not months, but probably years to complete. So when we hear about the census that Caesar commanded, this is a big, big, big thing. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria, and everyone went to his own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him, and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born. She gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger, because there was no room for them in the inn. You'll notice here on the screen, this is a different translation. It's still the NIV, but it's a different way of reading it. And the last line says, because there was no guest room available for them. We're going to come back to that in a moment or two. But, uh, and that's some of the ways that I want you to rethink about how you think about the Christmas story. In the Algersman house during Christmas time, we have a lot of traditions of our own. One of the ones that's my favorite. I love going to the Redland City Christmas Parade. Uh, how many of you have been to that? It's a good time. Lots of fun. We go every year. But I don't like it because uh, of the floats or the bands or anything like that. I mean, those are fun and everything like that. I like it because we always go with families with small children. And I like the ultimate fighting championship that breaks out over the candy that gets thrown out during the parade. I love that part watching kids scramble for, you know, whatever, a Tootsie Roll or a lollipop or something like that. I just, I just, I, I egg them on, you know, you need to go get that one or whatever. Just, I just love that. It's just fun to me. And, and it's a tradition that we've sort of taken on in our household. Um, and we sit, sit in front of Martha Green's and we go home and have chocolate, hot chocolate afterwards. Just a fun time. Uh, another one that we have in our house is that we have to have a real Christmas tree. Um, I would prefer to have one of these sorts of trees that you see in front of you. These are all uh, artificial trees. Uh, I would prefer to have this. My wife, Kristen, would prefer to have this. But our oldest daughter, Katie, is the tradi- traditionalist in our household. And she absolutely will refuse to come in the house if there is a fake tree in our home. And we actually get her home in a couple weeks for about six weeks. So we'd really like her to stick around for a while. So uh, we have to go out to that wonderful Christmas Christmas Wonderland that is Home Depot and pick up the real tree and bring it home and we do a little bit of decorating, put on some Christmas music and all that other sort of stuff. Um, That's one of our family traditions as well. We also very much enjoy watching together as family Christmas movies. Anybody Christmas movies? Good times? 
uh, and they're getting ready here. It's sort of funny. They have now, right now, they're in the countdown to the 25 days of Christmas on ABC Family. They're not even in the 25 days yet. Pretty soon it's going to have the countdown to the countdown of the 25 days of Christmas. But we watch different ones on Christmas Eve. We always watch a Christmas story together as a family. It's, it's, a, it's a fun time. We all know the lines and we laugh together. I always like that part in Home Alone 2 or Home Alone when the robbers come into the house and they all get, he throws the stuff at them. That's another fun one. And then uh, one of my favorites, certainly, is Christmas Vacation. Christmas Vacation, anyone? Chevy Chase or Clark W. Griswold, as he is named in the movie. And if you've seen this film, it's, it's very funny. There's a couple parts of it that are a little, uh, as we say in Dutch, sputten. Uh, so you've got to sort of maybe uh, turn to commercial during a couple of them. But there's some parts that are just hilarious. Um, and the whole premise of the movie is that Clark Griswold wants to host in his home in Chicago a fun, old-fashioned family Christmas. And he says it a number of different times over the course of the movie. They have to go out and get the perfect tree. And if you remember the scene of the perfect tree, which there are a number of them, it's hilarious, some of the things that go on with the perfect tree. They have to go sledding together as a family. And if you've seen that scene, it's also hilarious what happens when they have to go as a family sledding. And they have to have the perfect Christmas meal. And also a very funny scene, if you remember it from the movie, especially with Cousin Eddie around. That's just a good time. You invite all the family in, and the expectation is high for Clark W. Griswold that this will be the perfect, fun, old-fashioned family Christmas. And his expectation overwhelms everything. In fact, there's a scene in the movie where he and his wife discuss him sort of having too much expectation for this Christmas time. And he's so consumed by it that every little detail has to fall into place. And if it doesn't, then, then there's a problem. And the thing is, in the world that we live in, it's easy to be Clark W. Griswold when it comes to Christmas. We all have traditions and expectations that we load into this five or six week period of the year. We think about the things that we want to have happen. We want to give the perfect gift. We have, want to have the one family reunion ever where a fight doesn't break out. We want to have the sorts of things that make us remember for years to come this great, wonderful, awesome Christmas time. And we even have the traditions, like we do the Christmas parade and the Christmas movies and all those other sorts of things. We come to Christmas oftentimes with a level of expectation, and especially because the culture in the world around us feeds into that. How soon have we seen Christmas decorations? I don't think that Halloween was over before they showed up at Target. I think we've seen commercials already enough for Christmas. I think we, we, we are going to see culture feeding into this idea, the expectation, the perfect gift, all the things that we are supposed to do. Even keep your ears for that in commercials. The idea of the perfect gift or the perfect family meal whatever. That's the world that we live in. And so as we consider this time of year and how we walk into it, receiving Jesus, the purpose, the reason for this whole thing, how are we thinking about that in all the craziness? 
Now, in our story, we have a community that's in a little bit of craziness. Bethlehem at that time probably was a little bit of a crazy town, and here's why. Bethlehem is a little bit south of Jerusalem. So think about this. If, if you can, I'm trying to do it. I'm doing this for you, so I want to make sure I don't get it mixed up. Jerusalem is here. Below that, by about 10 miles, is Bethlehem. And 50 to 60 miles to the, I guess it'd be the northeast, over here is Galilee, Nazareth, where they would have come, up, come from, just on the top of Sea of Galilee. So it's probably a journey between 50 and 60 miles that Joseph and Mary would have had to make in order to get to Bethlehem. And Bethlehem at that time, now it's a large city. We're talking somewhere in the neighborhood, I believe, of 75 to 100,000 people, a pretty significant size city. At that time, it's not inconceivable that it would have been less than 200 people. But there were people who were all part of the line of David, the house of David, who would have had to come to that town in order to register. It's not inconceivable that this town grew by tenfold over the course of this census. That many people would have come in. And you can imagine if you have a town of 200 that suddenly swells to a town of 2,000, it would turn, into, it would turn things upside down would have been crazy, would have been trying to find space and room to keep people anywhere and everywhere, the livestock, all the other sorts of things that would have gone on in that town. It would have made for a little bit of bedlam. And this is the town that Mary and Joseph walk into. And now we have a certain view of how that went, them walking into town. We even heard it from the innkeeper on our little skit, right? The idea that there was a building in Bethlehem that was, we'll call it the Inn of Bethlehem. And you would come to that inn if you were coming to Bethlehem to visit, and you would ask the person at the desk or at the door, can I rent a room from you? And they would say, yes, we have room. No, we don't have room. That there would be this building that was the inn. That's not true. At least not as I read the text. If you look in your text... And you see at the end of our section in verse 7, it says and makes only one reference to it, that there was no room at the inn. That Greek word is the word kataluma. And kataluma can be translated, yes, as in, at least it is here, or it could be translated as guest room. Now it's interesting because there's another place in the text where we see the English word in. That's from the parable of the Good Samaritan. You remember the story. There's a Samaritan who uh, uh, rescues a Jewish man on the side of the road. And what does he do? He gathers him up and he takes him where? To an inn. The interesting thing is, is that's not the word in Greek, kataluma. That's a different word. That's a different word that specifically means, not just in the text of Scripture, but outside the text, that building where you had an inn where you could rent rooms. A cataluma is, in fact, another thing. It's a guest room, traditionally on the top story of a house. In essence, it's a storage room 99% of the time, a place where you would keep things, perhaps store things that you wanted dried or store things that you wanted out of the elements. And when you knew someone was coming, then you would empty that room out and provide them a place to stay. That's a cataluma. 
Now, let's think about one other thing that challenges our traditional view. Where is Joseph going? He and Mary are going to Bethlehem, and we know that that is the town of his family line. So who lives in Bethlehem? Joseph's family. So when he's coming to town, he's not coming and being around people who are unfamiliar to him. In fact, probably he went over first to Uncle Ed's house. And he said, Uncle Ed, I need a place to stay. And Uncle Ed said, I'm sorry. I can't let you use my Cataluma because uh, Cousin George is in my Cataluma. There's no room here. You're going to have to look elsewhere. So he goes over to Aunt Shirley's house. And he says, Aunt Shirley, may I use your Cataluma for me and Mary? And cousin Aunt Shirley says, I'm sorry, but my children are in my Cataluma. There is no place in my home for you. You'll have to keep looking. There's no room in the Cataluma for Joseph and Mary. And even the house where they did stay, probably family. Someone they knew or were directly in relation to and understand that in the culture of the Israelites, hospitality is a big deal. In fact, in the Old Testament prophets, Israel was condemned if it wasn't hospitable. If a person came into your town, especially a couple who was pregnant, don't you think that hospitality would have been shown? In fact, it was. We'll name a little bit more about how we know that to be true as we get deeper into this. So I want you to step away from the idea a little bit of a traditional innkeeper at the inn of Bethlehem and then all of a sudden ending up in a stable behind. The text doesn't support that. In fact, it gives us signs and evidences that it's otherwise. Okay, now let's think about our world for a moment. Is there room in our world? Well, we live in a very... Noisy, action-filled, energetic world this time of year, don't we? Anyone, did, I went to, I went to uh, Citrus Plaza yesterday. Anyone really like going to Citrus Plaza right now? You know, I, I don't want to go to Citrus Plaza. There's like everyone and their sister is out shopping now. I needed to go get um, with Troy a birthday gift for one of his friends for a party. And you can't find a parking spot. And not only that, but it's full contact right now at Target. You're walking in there with a cart, you can expect that it's, I mean, if there's a one thing left and you want it and someone else does, watch out. It's a little crazy, a little hectic. All that energy sort of pent up. Got to spend, got to buy, got to take care of it. How many people get excited and make it a Facebook post? Christmas shopping done early, yay! I don't have to deal with it anymore. Because of how much energy and noise. And then add to that all the other things that we have going on. Christmas parties. Family gatherings. We've got the, the, the programs that we go to. Uh, we've, got, we've got gift exchanges that we have to be a part of. All these different things. And many of those things. Beautiful, awesome, wonderful things. But where within all of that is room for Jesus? And oftentimes there is room maybe, or we consider it, but oftentimes we can become so consumed by this stuff that there is no room. 
Our lives are so full. They're so noisy. There's so much energy. And maybe, maybe you're not a person whose schedule fills this time of year. I understand that not everyone has that. There are people instead who actually feel more of a sense of loneliness and isolation through this Christmas season because they would love to have places to go and things to do with people, but it's not happening. But there's still that level of anticipation and expectation. Christmas is going to be great, or maybe Christmas is going to be horrible, and we think about it beforehand. In fact, it's one of the times of year when people deal most with different mental issues like depression, high stress, all that other sort of thing, because we load it up with expectation and anticipation. We are and can be sometimes Clark W. Griswold in our own unique way. But remember, in all of this, as we think about Advent, preparation for the incarnation of Christ, that God is present. We know he's never left us nor forsaken us. He's in the middle of even all this Black Friday stuff in this Christmas shopping season, in the party season, in all the stuff. He's in this. But how does he speak? How does God usually speak? Well, in our story, he speaks in a little baby. A baby crying in a manger. Now, I know that there's some of you parents who would say out there, wait, you don't know my baby. That ain't quiet. But compared to other noise, that's a totally different type. In fact, I would even call it a quiet noise. But then think back in the Old Testament. How does God speak? God speaks in 1 Kings 19. If you remember the story, there's an earthquake that comes. There's a rushing wind that comes. God is in neither of those. What is he in? He's in the still small voice. Here we are in a busy, full, energetic, noisy season seeking to make room for God and hear his voice when so often he speaks in a still, small voice that can't be heard amidst all the craziness. We live in a world, actually, where silence and quiet is at a premium. I, I, I know this because I tried it this week. I tried to find a little bit of silence, if only for a moment. I did it on Tuesday when I was in my office. I sat for about three or four minutes trying to listen if there was quiet. One, unfortunately, I have my office beside Pastor Will's office. And Pastor Will doesn't do anything quietly. If he drinks a good cup of coffee, he lets the world know. Mm-mm-mm. If he's on the phone, it's not low and quiet, especially if it's Gary. If Gary is calling Pastor Will, the whole office knows it. If Joel calls Pastor Will, the whole office knows it. Gary! Joel! Or whatever it is that he's doing, there's noise involved in it. So I got that going against me, and my office is two doors down from the door where we have the server right now. And that server has to have a little fan to ventilate it. And as I'm sitting in the quiet, listening to Will Pastor Will enjoy his cup of coffee, I got the server fan going on in the corner because it goes all the time to keep that thing cool. Add to that the fact that on Tuesday of this week, there were roofers over at Plymouth Village all day, banging away. Silence at a premium in my office. Okay, well maybe it's going to be somewhere else. 
On Wednesday at about 10.30 at night, I take my dog outside so that she can use the restroom and then come back in and be ready to go to bed for the night. Well, I'm standing outside and I think, okay, is there going to be quiet here? Well, if you're anywhere in Redlands, and it doesn't matter what time of day, you're probably still, if you listen for it, going to hear the freeway. And I live a long distance from the freeway, and I can still hear it. And I don't know if Von Lale was chasing someone down because there was a siren in the background. And on apparently Wednesday night over at Hangar 24, they were having open mic night. That's about a mile and a half from my house, but the sound carried just fine. No silence there. So then on Friday, we're up in the mountains. And we're doing a hike as a family. And for a moment, I'm like, okay, I'm in nature, way up at altitude. There's got to be silence here. But there's a woodpecker in one of the trees. And there's wind going through all the trees. And even still, at that elevation, you could hear noise of people from long, long distances. We live in a world where silence, quiet, is at a premium, especially this time of year. And yet we're talking about a God who has shown himself in a lot of different ways. Sure, he's shown himself with power and energy and in some big ways. But when we hear the story of Christmas, we think small, quiet, and still small voice. And in all the craziness, can we hear him? Is there room for him to speak into our lives? Advent is this time where we think about it, but it's all year. Is there room? Is there room? Now, as we go back to the story and think about the story, we, we, we hear again how actually Christ made room himself in the lives of the people of Bethlehem. We, again, we, we have to deal with a little bit of a traditional view. You heard it in the innkeeper in the little vignette from the beginning. This idea that Joseph and Mary arrived at the inn on the night on which Mary gave birth, right? I mean, that's sort of the idea that she's literally going through Jerusalem 10 miles away from Bethlehem and the contractions are starting. Is that sort of our image, right? I mean, she's like ballooned out on the donkey riding into Bethlehem. We don't know that to be true. In fact, it would seem in some ways that that wouldn't be true. Joseph would have known pregnancy. He would have thought through a journey And it's not at all inconceivable that Mary and Joseph would have been in Bethlehem for a few months before she gave birth. This is Joseph who has shown Mary tenderness already. Would it be something that he would ask her to make that journey that much with child? We only hear from the text these words. And the time came for the baby to be born while they were in Bethlehem, right? We don't hear on the night on which they arrived, the baby was born. We just hear that there's a time. So if this is all happening and Mary and Joseph are present and they begin to tell the story, 
to people of the community. I mean, that certainly would be something. Remember, Elizabeth knows the story and Elizabeth is connected through family. So the family would have heard or begun to hear the story. And you can imagine that over a couple months worth of discussions with Mary and Joseph, that the people of the community would have become more aware of the uniqueness of this child conceived by the Holy Spirit. Remember, Mary and Joseph hadn't had union. And the people would have heard more about that story. And they may have wondered, is that possible? Is that true? But over the course of Mary and Joseph's time, at the very least, they would have posed questions and begun to see that they're unique. And Mary and Joseph are part of this community. But then things get really crazy after the baby comes. Because first of all, you get shepherds, right? Little, tough, tough little kids. These are the little kids out in the hills protecting the sheep from wolves and bears. And all of a sudden they come up. Guess what, folks? Angels came. And they told us that this baby was special. We need to come and worship. Now you can imagine the person who's in, in whose house the baby was born that was wondering, what in the world's going on here? First we hear about this incredible conception. Now we got shepherds showing up. And then all of a sudden, magi come. And we know the magi did come to Bethlehem. Why? Because of the discussion between King Herod and the magi when they came. Bethlehem is the town. Go there. So they go to Bethlehem and they find the baby. Well, someone's got to answer the door. You're the person who has the baby in your house. You open the door and they're like, hi, we're kings from Orient or we're kings from the east. We're here to see the baby. What? That's crazy. My little house just south of Jerusalem, you're looking for the palace up north, not here. Over time, instead of this household being impacted by the presence of the child, the child takes over. Everything in the household becomes centered around this child. And we even see it because Where was the baby placed? In a... Why would a manger be important? Well, let's look at it this way. First of all, animals generally at that point didn't sleep out in stables. They may have had stables for them to stay in during most of the day, but at night, they usually didn't sleep outside, especially when it was cold. Why? What do animals do? They're warm. They're hot, actually. If you are around, if you ever walk into a barn, anyone walked into a barn with a lot of animals, it's warm in there when it's cold outside, right? It's awfully warm. And in fact, that's what you want. Animals in your house because they're your furnace. So when we hear about the animals being, uh, when when we hear about Jesus being in the manger, it's because there is actually a manger in the central part of the main room of these houses where the animals would come at night and eat and lay around the manger and be nice and warm so the family would be warm. So when we hear Jesus being placed in a manger, it's not some back room. It's not some separate part. It's actually in the central part of the home that, and, and these These animals are important. 
These are your meal ticket. These are the things that you get food from. These are the things that you make money off of. You took care of the animals. You made sure they ate well. And all of a sudden now Jesus is taking the place of where their food would have went. Whoever is in charge of that house is saying, you are more important than all these other things. And you are central to what it is that's going on around us. In coming to that place, Jesus was taking over that home. This innkeeper might have asked some questions and wondered what was going on, but ultimately we see in what happened that Jesus took over this home because they made room. What about us? You think about Jesus How do you see Jesus in your life? Is Jesus an advisor to you? Is he someone that you check with on decisions that you might make so that he can give you some input, give you an idea or two? Think about an advisor to the president. president has many advisors. And those advisors' purpose is to share information with the president pertinent pertinent to the decision that is being made. However, at the end of the day, does the president have to do what it is that the advisors advise? No. The president can make their own decisions. Is Jesus an advisor where you take in the data that the Spirit gives you and then say, wait, hold on, I'm going to go a different way? Or have you, have I, allowed Jesus to take over? Be the one consuming all of me, all my actions, all my thoughts, all my traditions, all my habits. Am I allowing Christ to come in and take over everything? I am allowing him to be the one that drives what it is that I do. That instead of me saying, this is what I would like to do, Jesus, are you okay with that? Instead, I'm saying, Jesus, you lead me, you guide me, you call me where you want me to go, and I will follow. See, the problem is, if Jesus is just an advisor, think about how that works. Do you always make perfect decisions? Of course not. And how do we understand God and the Spirit and Jesus Christ in terms of their calling? We understand that to be perfect. And if we are taking what God is calling us to do out of its perfection and then saying, well, that's nice and everything, but I'm going to do what it is that I want to do in my imperfection, does that make any sense at all? Allowing Christ to come in through the Holy Spirit, lead us in all we do, making room for him to take over us so that where we go and what we do is his thing and not ours. That's the calling. Now, often this means that we don't have to change everything about ourselves, but sometimes we just, we need to change why we do what we do. We need to change instead of saying, okay, uh, let's think about this. Um, Gift giving this Christmas, okay? Why do you do that? Why do you give gifts? Do we even know why we give gifts? The expectation is there, right? It's the tradition. 
if you didn't give gifts on Christmas Eve, your children would mutiny. Right? Because that's, that's the expectation. All right? I'm not saying that you don't give gifts this year because at the end of the day, I would prefer not to have to go visit you in the hospital. But why do you? Do you give gifts to your children perhaps maybe as a blessing? Do you, do you provide ways for them to glorify God in that? Maybe your kid has specific gifts. And as you give them that gift, you say, that's so that you can develop this gift to give glory to God in it. Or if you give them a book or some sort of learning tool, that you give them that gift and say, this is so that you can develop your mind and honor God with what it is that you do in all you do. The motivation changes. The focus changes. Where it comes from changes. That's transformation. That's when things change for us. We see our world differently. It doesn't have to change everything that we do. It should change some maybe. But it definitely changes where heart is. And as the Spirit does this in us, we're often surprised by places where we see God changing us. And the world around us. That's the kingdom of God. When we allow room in our lives. This Christmas season. This Advent season. And always. For Christ to come in and take over. And consume our motivations. Our actions. Our words. Our time. And our energy. We're changed. And if we're changed. The world around us changes. That's the kingdom. Here's a couple ways that I want to think with you about making room this Christmas. I think that quiet is one of them. I think that quiet and finding spaces where the noise dies down and it's maybe a little bit quiet in our world, a little bit silent is important. And maybe it's not silence in the sense of noise, it's silence in the sense of what's in our heads. Here's an example. December 18, does anybody know what's special about December 18 at about 6.30 at night? Anyone know? The Christmas program at RCS, all the moms know already. Now, I know that's not the Christmas program that all of you are going to go to. Some of you are going to go to one at your school. Some of you are going to go to one where your kids go or whatever. Great. But at December 18, over at U of R Chapel, there is a Christmas program. And it's a wonderful night. If you've never gone, it's a good time. Tons of kids, tons of family, tons of very gifted stuff. Jill Leonard, Mr. Mercer, a lot of folks contribute to make sure it's a wonderful, wonderful night. But it's a busy, full night. It's actually crazy because there's people showing up at 3 o'clock in the afternoon to save their seats. It's a little nuts. But in that night where God's blessing is all around, children who know Jesus, families who are legacies of faith, grandparents who come who love their children, and in the middle of all of that pandemonium, is there a place for even a moment in whatever chair that you sit if it's there or at another Christmas program, likewise. And look around and say, God, you are good. And you've come and you've shown yourself and brought yourself into this world and this continues to be the result of that work. I praise you, God. You're not not going to the Christmas program, but suddenly you go with a different plan or a different purpose. Perhaps... Maybe, does anyone do an Advent calendar in their home? 
Advent calendars is one of those calendars where you got uh, dates with chocolates in them, maybe, or a little, little present, little gift. Kids do that oftentimes. I saw one that was disturbing a little while ago. It was a wine rack um, <laughs> Advent calendar. I, I find that a little disconcerting. If you have a wine rack Advent calendar, you may need to rethink a lot of things. But there's, uh, if you do an Advent, maybe, maybe it's, it's that child, because in our house it can be a fight over who gets the chocolate that day. That child, that child becomes the child that you pray for together as a family as they take that chocolate out. That God might make, them so, make himself known in their lives today. And that they might be able to make room to listen and to hear. And and perhaps, you know, there's little other traditions that you have. Wonderful, wonderful things that bless you this time of year. But for us to think, how is it that we allow even this thing, this little thing that we've always done, trimming the tree, sending the Christmas card, having the meal, opening the gifts. How are these things places where God is welcome? Not only welcome, but this is his time. Because all time is his time. And we allow him to come in and we allow him not just to advise it, because it's Christmas, but to take it over. Because we're one of his people. And we want to be where he is, doing what it is that he calls us to do, going where it is that he calls us to go. People of the river, our hope is, during this Advent season, is that we not put more things on you, that you not take on more things, more guilt, more responsibility, more anything, but instead you are in your heart of hearts, in that place that there are spaces where you and I make room to hear the still small voice and the cry of the baby in Bethlehem that says, I have come, and I've come to give you life. Let's pray together to that end. Living hope, Jesus Christ, Holy Spirit, and God our Father, we praise you for what you have done and are doing in our world We praise you for Bethlehem. We praise you for coming and making room in that place, in that time. For in making room, you changed the reality of the world that we know. You changed changed everything. You changed us. What was death is now life. What was hopeless is now hopeful. What was broken is now whole. Lord God, continue in our hearts and in our minds to move us. Move us to be open to your leading, to your taking over, to your claiming all spaces in our lives and in our hearts for yourself. And Lord, may what we do then become gratitude to the Son of God who came. Came to this world, this broken, dark, and sinful world to save those you will save, to redeem those you will redeem, to transform those you will transform. Lord God, may we in gratitude live that out. We pray these things all in the name of Jesus. Amen. We hope that you are blessed by what you hear. Maybe you're checking out our website more and seeing things that you 
uh, are wondering whether or not you might want to participate in them, feel free. Contact us in the office, give us a call, send us an email. Um, we'd love to hear from you, love to answer any questions that you have. Thanks for checking us out.